seated. My name is Ransom Kent. I'm the pastor here. I want to say Happy New Year to you all. Uh, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for joining us at home if you're there as well. Uh, we're going to be this morning finishing, we're going back before Advent, we're going to finish our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount this morning. And then next week we're going to continue in Matthew in a new series called The Power and the Message of the Messiah. It might be reversed, it might be Message and Power, I don't remember. But anyway, uh, I'll be preaching it, so I'll, I'll remember by next week. Um, so we're going to finish with this closing statement by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount this morning. We'll find that in Matthew 7 verses 24 through 29. You'll find that printed in your bulletin, I believe. Uh, if not there, certainly turn there in your Bibles. And those of you at home, it should be on the screen as I read. Again, Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29. I'll be, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And then... When Jesus was finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray this morning uh, as we are exiting uh, what we have, many have considered a difficult year and entering a new unknown year, that we would open our hearts this morning, that we would hear what you have to say to us, myself included. I pray that your gospel would shine forth this morning through this message. I pray that as grace continues its work as a gospel outpost here in the northeast of Columbia, I pray that you would continue to bless us in the ways that you have through its almost 10 years of life as a church. And I just pray, Father, that we would be a church family that cares for one another, that cares and knows the gospel and that we would venture forth seeing your kingdom spread this year. I pray, Lord, uh, that you'd bless this sermon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so uh, every time we flip to a new calendar year, uh, it's a time for celebration. Uh, it, every January 1st, I get to celebrate being your pastor for another year. And so uh, it, it, 2020 feels like maybe seven years, but I've been here for two and uh, so I'm very thankful to celebrate yet another year uh, with you all. And, and as I um, think about that anniversary when it comes around for the second time, uh, the, the move from Florida where we were before is still fresh in my mind. Um, and so as I was reading this passage, it made me think of Julie and I's first house. We owned a house in Florida, and I remember looking for that house, thinking, how can we even afford a house? And we found this cute little house, and, and the way it was designed is there, it was a U shape, and then the front door was 45 degree angle into that center of the U, and as we walked up to the house, we thought, what a unique looking house, we really liked it, it was small, it met our needs, we loved that house, we loved it, um, and so, and, and as that unique feature um, of the front door uh, um, was exciting for me, I just felt like it looked unique, it, it changed, my attitude towards the front door changed 
after the first few rainstorms on a, Friday, on a Florida afternoon, uh, the way the door had been designed, three roof sides worth of water uh, converged on the walls of that front door. And uh, after several rainstorms, uh, it went from unique feature to my arch enemy. We had two roofing companies, many friends with experience in that arena of construction come, and we could not get that roof to stop leaking inside the house. And so every rainstorm, you found me at the front door looking up at the ceiling, waiting for the drips to start, waiting for our ceiling to cave in. And uh, I, I, it, we eventually got it fixed, but it took a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of ingenuity to get enough blocking in there to stop the water from overcoming it. Um, on the other side of that, thinking about this passage, that little house withstood two hurricanes. We lived through two hurricanes, and as the, winds blew, as the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew, the house on the rock stood firm. Right? That little house lasted. Not a shingle blew off the roof, not a window leaked. It was a great little house for those kinds of things. And I bring up those two things because I think this passage helps us in a way in our lives. We take small storms, we take small storms, those Friday, those Florida afternoon rains, and we make them much bigger than they actually are. We think, man, that, that rain's coming. It's my arch enemy. This leak in the roof, it's such a big deal. But when the big storm comes, it's so much more severe. It's so much more severe. Think about it this way. Think about the attitude we have right now, most of us anyway, I think probably almost all of us, have towards the year 2020. I open my Apple News app the other day, and the banner said, goodbye and good riddance to 2020. We have this idea in our minds that finally this difficult year is behind us, and something new and exciting and good is in front of us. And as the uh, uh, in-house Debbie Downer, I'm going to say this. I'm going to ask you this question. What makes you think 2021 will be any better? What makes you think 2021 will be any different? In fact, 2020, it wasn't the ultimate test of our lives. It wasn't. It was hard. It was difficult. There were challenges. But it was no more in the scheme of things than a Florida afternoon rainstorm. That's what it was. Sure, it, it, it exposed some leaks in our life. But there is a storm coming. The storm that this passage describes that will test the, the sturdiness of your entire life. And that's what this passage is about. And so I think it's a very appropriate way to start this new year, looking at how Jesus Christ ends the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I know we're several weeks removed from anything related to the Sermon on the Mount, so let me give you a very quick synopsis. What did Jesus talk about in the Sermon on the Mount? What are the basics, the basic truths from that sermon the first would be recognize your absolute dependence on Jesus Christ. That's what he was getting at at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. You have no righteousness. You are spiritually bankrupt. You need something else outside yourself. You need me, was the message. The second thing was you, you must follow me closely in obedience. So we are dependent on Christ. Absolutely dependent. And the Christian life is one of following Jesus closely in obedience. And those two things together is what it means to dedicate your life wholly to Christ in a relationship. Those two things together. And so up to this point, that's what he's been teaching. And these, he's been teaching about the law, and he's been teaching about uh, legalism. He's been teaching about prayer and these other practical things like generosity 
And here he's ending his sermon on the mount with choices. We looked several weeks ago at the narrow gate versus the wide path. He was saying to those listening, listen, you can continue on the easy way you're on or you can enter the narrow gate through me. He talks about a tree and its fruit just before this. And then he comes to this parable of sorts. He says, listen, you can either build your house on a rock or you can build your house on the sand. And so in the, as we look at these two different scenarios, there's some similarities between the two and there's some differences. So that's what we're going to do. That's kind of the outline this morning. We're going to look at the similarities and talk about those. We're going to look at the differences and look at the significance of those. So let's start with the similarities. We have two stories here. Jesus is very directly attaching a meaning to these two kind of illustrations. But the two illustrations are one, a wise man who builds his house on a rock, and a foolish man, a foolish builder specifically, who builds his house on sand. So what are their similarities? First of all, both builders hear the word. Both hear the word. So there's a kind of a micro context here, but then there's a, a bigger context that Jesus gives with this word, everyone. So think about this. Who is the Sermon on the Mount for? Disciples of Christ. It's for those who are followers of Christ. He's teaching people who are claiming to be followers what it means to be a follower. And so certainly this, the word of the Sermon on the Mount is for them, but when he says, everyone then who hears this word of mine, he says it both in verse 24 and 26. What he's saying there, he's referring to something else, and he's talking about the idea that everyone in one way or another hears and knows about God. Everyone, everyone who's ever existed, whoever will exist, knows about God. Go with me to Romans 1. In the, beginning of, so in the beginning of Romans 1, Paul is in the introduction phase of a sweeping theological book. And what he's doing is he's very, in a broad brushstroke, talking about humanity and the problem of sin. And he says this in Romans 1. He's talking about uh, uh, um, uh, humanity and, and, and the fact that humanity is tainted with sin. He says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, meaning everyone. Because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly, clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, meaning everyone, is without excuse. He goes on to say what, what people do in their unrighteousness is they look at the Creator, they look at what He has done, and instead of worshiping Him, they throw Him to the side and they worship the created thing instead. That's what he says. We see all over the place. What he's referring to here is called general revelation. What's general revelation? General revelation is the idea that through nature, science, our senses, we can perceive that God is real. We do perceive that God is real. Everyone does. And so what is science? It's not something to be rejected. Science is the discovery of God's creation. It should build our wonder of God. Think about the Christmas star. Who? Just I don't ever do this. Raise of hands. Who got to see... The Christmas star, okay? Not the movie. It's like the one, the, the two planets side by side. It was in the sky for a couple of nights. It was insane. So you have Jupiter and Saturn. One's 500 million miles away. One's 800 million miles away. And they are so close, you can see them both together at the same time from Earth. What should be our response to that? God is great. These, these planets, they aren't a centimeter apart. They're 200 million miles apart. And we can see them right there bright in the sky. 
Our response to that should be, oh my goodness, God is great. Look at the calculations that He puts together and the things that He's designed so once every 800 years, you can see that thing. It's incredible. But what is the world's response to these kinds of things? I never thought I would do this, but I'm going to quote the scholarly words of Esqueleto from Nacho Libre when he says, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. All right? That's the world's response. I don't believe in God, I believe in science. Wow, science is cool. No, God is amazing. God is due glory. There's also this other kind of revelation called special revelation, and it comes right from here. Not in my Bible, all of our Bible. Scripture tells us the nitty-gritty of who God is and how we come to salvation. But even without Scripture, every human being feels and knows the calling in their heart to admit God is real, God is powerful, God deserves our worship. And so when Jesus here says, everyone who hears these words of mine, this refers to everyone. Everyone hears in one sense or another the words of God, the existence of God. So what's the point? There is enough in the observable world to inform every living, living human being that there is a God and he is deserving of our worship. Everyone has enough information to come to that conclusion. And we'll see as the sermon goes on, everyone responds in different ways to God's existence. That's the first similarity. Everyone hears. Both builders hear the word of God. The second similarity is that uh, everyone builds a house. Everyone builds a house. Both houses are built. It's so profound. Look at verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house. In verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, it's a difference, uh, is like a foolish man who built his house. Everyone builds a house. What do I mean by this? Everyone has values. Everyone has priorities. Everyone believes something. Everyone believes something. One way of thinking about this is you, everyone lives out their beliefs. Everyone lives out their beliefs. Another way to say that is talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. You can say you believe something. You can say you believe something, but it is truly the evidence and the living out of your life that is revealing what you actually believe. So, everyone hears, everyone responds to either yes, this is true, or no, this is not. And we'll get to that in the differences portion, but the reality is everyone builds a life. From atheist to devout worshiper of whatever... Everyone builds their life on something. Everyone is making choices. Everyone is living, doing the day-to-day. -day. Everyone is, is, is doing all these things. And as we live our lives, it's in a sense building up a house. And that house is founded on something. Third similarity, both houses are assailed by storms. Again, verse 25, it's ex the exact same verbiage. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. Both houses endure not only small storms, but the big one. They go through the big one. There's a little bit of tension here for us, and it's the same tension I brought up in the introduction. We do not control the weather. We know this. We can maybe prepare for the side effects of weather, but we can't control it. We can't control it. 
And, and the people who learn this the hard way are the bad guys in James Bond films who try to build weather machines or whatever to control it. It does not work. We don't do that. We don't have that ability. In the same way, we don't control calamity in our life. We don't. And so like this idea of positive thinking, well, 2021 will be better. We don't know that. We can't control that. And so in, in one, at one level, to some extent, this passage can be about that. About the idea that we face these trials and tribulations. And, and those trials and tribulations, at some level, expose the blemishes in our home, much like the, 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 the doorway that leaked in my house in Florida. Those, those, those afternoon rainstorms showed me that there was something wrong with the doorway. And so as the 2020s go by in our life, they're going to reveal these little leaks. And, and should we stand up and pay attention? Absolutely. A little leak in a house can turn into tens of thousands of dollars of damage. In the same way, the things we see in our life in the day-to-day -day through difficulty can turn into big things later. So that, that's something legitimate from this passage, but it's not the main point. It's kind of a side point. We're not talking about a rainstorm. There's a bigger picture in view. So Rather than this being about the little storms in our life that test the integrity of what we've built or what, what we're doing, no, this passage is about the big one. What is the big one? God is the big one. God is the storm. Eternity is the storm. God is the rain, the flood, the winds. He's the violent tempest. In His righteousness, His holiness, His justice, His judgment, His might, we will all come face to face with that at the end. And so the one storm that, is, that Jesus is referring to is that moment. The moment when the entirety of our lives will be put to the test. And either it will stand or there will be a great crash. We're talking about not about our best life now, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the ultimate test of everything with one outcome. And so the similarities here, everyone has some idea about God. Everyone builds their life on something. Everyone faces storms. And for sure, everyone will face God in the end. These are all the similarities here. And as you look at these similarities, they're uncontrollable. They're givens. We can't do anything about any of those things. You, you certainly can try. Well, I don't believe in God. Okay, that doesn't change the fact that He exists and you will face Him. In the same way that a good riddance to 2020 doesn't actually change anything, a good riddance to any of these things, that God exists, that, that we have lives that will be tested, that God is that test, they don't change. And so it's these similarities, the unchanging nature of these similarities that highlight the importance of the differences in the story. So let's transition to there. What are the differences that we see? First of all, we've already touched on a few of these. Let's go in depth here. There's different responses. Different responses to what? The knowledge of God. Specifically here, the, the message of the Sermon on the Mount. There are those who hear and there are those who hear and then do. So what is the message of the Sermon on the Mount? Again, Jesus is expressing in a specific way what it means to live as a follower of Christ. 
And so he lays out a theology of the Christian life in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he gives you an expectation. This is what it will be like in the now as you follow me. Here's what it will be like in the end after you've followed me for your life. And he expresses what kind of life he desires his followers to lead in between. And so the question that Jesus is asking in 24 through 27 is, what course of action do you intend to take? It's an ask action question. He's asking for a response. He's not simply putting out information and saying, do what you will. He's saying, will you do this or will you do that? Will you hear and do or will you hear and not do? Leon Morris says it this way, it's one thing to hear what he said in the Sermon on the Mount and even approve of it, it is quite another to obey. And that's what Jesus is getting at at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's great to say, amen, great sermon, Jesus. It's a whole other thing to dedicate your life to what he's teaching. That leads us to the next difference. Each house in the scenario has a different foundation. And Jesus, again, he doesn't give a parable and kind of leave it open-ended and unclear. He tells you what the parable means. He says this in verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, and does them, so hearing and doing will be like a wise man. You'll be like a wise man. He then says in verse 26, everyone who hears these words and does not do them is like a foolish man. So you know right off the bat what the sand is. You know what the rock is. What is the rock? It's hearing and doing. What is the sand? It's hearing but not doing. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, I've showed you the bedrock and it just so happens to be me. Will you build on it? Will you rely on it? Or will you willy-nilly build wherever it seems right? That's the question. Now, some of you might be thinking, Ransom, don't be ridiculous. Why would anyone build on sand? Why would anybody do that? I've been to the beach. Who would do that? Listen, the sand around the Sea of Galilee during the dry months would become hard as rock. It would become like a hard surface. And you can actually, uh, this is interesting, another Florida reference, Daytona Beach, where like it's kind of a hub of NASCAR racing, didn't just, they didn't just choose it randomly. Back in the early 1900s when they started making cars and making them faster, Daytona Beach during, again, the certain parts of the year was hard as rock. So they could race like a drag race on the beaches at Daytona. And so in the same way, the sands around the Sea of Galilee during certain parts of the year were hard. And an unknowing or foolish builder who's looking for a spot to build their home might show up with all this land on the seashore and say, wow, I could build right here. And for a time, it might hold up. Until what? The rains come and the, and, and the floods come and, and it, the sand once again is softened. It then would have no foundation. So what is Jesus referring to? What's this illustration pointing at? Think about what he's been railing against throughout the Sermon on the Mount. This idea of legalism, measurable piety, the idea that if I live my life a certain way, and, and it, it will please God and everyone will think I'm great and I'll look super religious. That seems like a pretty good way to live my life. And what Jesus is saying very specifically is, it's not. <laughs> it may seem sturdy. It will not last your encounter with God. In the same way, any, many of the modern philosophies that we choose, whether on purpose or on accident, to live our life, 
They're the same. It seems sturdy. Positive thinking sure seems like a good thing. Will it last our encounter with God? No, it will not. And so we have different responses. We have different foundations. And both foundations, we can see, have a guaranteed ending. And Jesus is laying that out very clearly. There's no ambiguity. And that brings us to the last difference. Different outcomes for different responses and different foundations. They end differently. Look at verse 25 and 27. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 27, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Two different outcomes. The first does not fall because it was founded on bedrock. The, the builder knowingly took time to dig down into the dirt and, and put the post on the rock that was immovable. What does that mean? What is Jesus referring to? What is this passage saying? Listen, to build your life on the rock is to found your life on Christ, to rest your fate with his fate. Do you see? In the end, why will your life stand? How could it possibly stand? It'll only stand because the life of Christ stands. Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh. We just celebrated Christmas. He came as God in the flesh. He lived the life we were supposed to. A perfect life, perfect obedience to His Father. He, he died an atoning death for our sins. He rose in victory at His resurrection. Those are the, the bedrock of a life that lasts an encounter with God. Why? Because Jesus is, is the reason the house stands. Jesus did those things to secure the fate of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And so, the building your house on the rock isn't about pulling up the old bootstraps and getting to work, knowing Jesus better, evangelizing more. It's not that. It is putting your faith on Jesus Christ and saying, this life that I live, I want to live it according to the fate of Jesus Christ, which is a relationship with God. Imputed righteousness. And then the, the other house, its outcome, it fell with a great fall. This means literally a loud crash of great magnitude. <clears throat> Jesus is being very plain. Very plain. If you found your life on anything other than Jesus Christ... If you found your life on anything other than the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for you and offers you as a free gift, when you face God at the end, you will realize very quickly your foundation is not sturdy. It's not sufficient. If you found your life on anything other than faith in Jesus Christ, what comes at the end? A loud crash of great magnitude. That's the message. So what does Christ offer? He offers safety from God's wrath. Safety from God's righteousness. Safety from God's justice. Because as we saw in some of our songs today, as we saw in our Westminster Confession today, what do we deserve? His wrath. And Jesus Christ offers rescue where there is no other. There is no other rescue. That's it.
So what does this passage want us to do? What does this passage want us to do? I think if we, as we look at the two audiences that are here, Matthew at the end of the Sermon on the Mount brings in a, a, a perspective that there's other people listening besides the disciples. There's other people listening. And so he says in verse 28 and 29, look at it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds, the crowds, this is not the disciples, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. This means their minds were blown. They, they were like, my goodness, we've never heard this. It's great. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. I, I love the fact that, that, that Matthew includes this right after the Sermon on the Mount because what he's doing is saying, listen, present here at the sermon are hearers only and hearers and doers. He's showing you both audiences. And so great, Verse 28, 29, the crowds were astonished. Woohoo! But then what? But then what? R.T. France says that the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is not meant to be admired, but to be obeyed. To be obeyed. And so this morning, if, if you are in what you might consider the crowd, you're, you're not a follower of Christ. Maybe you're at home and and you're curious, or, or whatever it is, you're curious about what this Christianity thing is, I want to set a couple things straight. And I want to say this. First of all, Jesus, Jesus is not saying that Christians are smarter than others. That's definitely not true, okay? He's, he's using the idea of a, of a wise builder, a good construction builder, and, and a bad one. He's using that. And so it's not about intellect at all. Jesus is having a moment of real talk with everybody in this passage. Real talk. And what is he saying? He's saying there is a way to construct your life on a foundation that will withstand God's judgment. There's a way to do that. But also there's a way to do it and it won't withstand God's judgment. Jesus is having real talk. He's saying you can go through life confident that when you meet God, you will be welcomed in as a child or you can go through life confident that your life will come crashing down. And so my encouragement to you this morning, if you find yourself in the crowd, don't just be astonished by what you hear. Believe in Jesus Christ. Michael Green, uh, I've read a couple of his books. He happens to have a commentary on Matthew, and I've been using his stuff, but he has a great perspective uh, on those who do not believe in Jesus and kind of cultural philosophies, and he says this about this very passage. Jesus does not agree that it does not matter what you believe in so long as you are sincere. Jesus does not allow that we are all climbing up to God by the route of our choice. Jesus does not fit in with our shallow pluralism. Instead, he says there are only two ways we can build. Not many ways, just two. We can, we can either build on him and his teaching, which we will find is as solid as a rock. Or else we can build on any other religion or philosophy in the world. We will find that it is sand. And in the last day, it will spell ruin. My hope this morning is that's not just emotionally scary. I hope that's really actually scary. To know that there's only two ways. And one way is Jesus Christ. And, and the other way is every other way that ends in calamity. It spells ruin. And so this morning, if you're listening and that scares you a little bit or whatever it is, listen, Jesus is calling to you. What He's saying is, I have come to rescue you. 
Will you receive it? Will you receive it? It's free. If you feel that tension and you want to respond to that, talk to me. Talk to any of your Christian friends. Talk to anybody you see here that looks like a friendly face. They will lead you in the way. The second audience in view here are the disciples. So, Christian, the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do I build? How do I build on the rock? How do I maybe continue to build on the rock? And I've got a couple answers this morning from the passage, from the Sermon on the Mount, in fact. The first way that we continue to build on the rock is by increasing our dependence on Christ. Increasing, intentionally, our dependence on Jesus Christ. To increase our dependence, it requires some deprogramming and some reprogramming. Both those things. The deprogramming takes, uh, uh, you can do that by repentance. Repentance is deprogramming. It's admitting your sins. This is where I've gone wrong, Lord. Here's the things I believe that are lies, Lord. Repentance is deprogramming. Reprogramming is studying the meaning of the gospel again and again and again and again and again. That's reminding yourself who you are, who Christ is, what He's done, how good it is, His great love for you. And and in the end, as you do that process, as you increase your dependence on Christ, you'll realize you're worse than you think, but you're more loved than you could ever imagine. That's dependence on Jesus Christ. Because as you do the deprogramming and the reprogramming, what happens? Your brokenness meets with the, the grace, the, 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 the never-ending fountain of grace from Jesus Christ over and over and over and over and over again. Admitting your sins, learning the gospel, that process makes you love and need and, and know Jesus more. And it makes you realize, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I need Jesus much more than I ever thought I did. So how do we continue to build? The first thing is to increase your dependence on Christ. As we look for that deeper and deeper need for our Lord, we also should intentionally follow Christ more closely. Intentionally follow Christ more closely. How do we do that? Personal worship. What is personal worship? It's prayer. It's reading. It's corporate worship. It's service to others. It's generosity. It's mercy to outsiders. It's killing our sins. Personal worship is devotion by obedience. Personal worship is devotion by obedience. As we live our lives, as Christ has laid it out in the Sermon on the Mount, as the apostles lay it out in greater detail throughout the whole New Testament, as God has revealed through His whole Scriptures, as we learn and know and live that out, we personally worship God through obedience. This is for all of us. This is for all of us. I'm going to reprimand myself and everybody. We have got to remove busyness as an excuse, as an obstruction to our personal worship. We, I, treat obedience like it's something we fit in. It's the whole thing, church. It's the whole thing. And so, some practical things. Listen. Everyone needs to be discipled. Everybody. It's not just something for mature Christians to do for unmature Christians. Immature Christians. Not Everybody needs to be discipled. Everyone needs to be pulled along. 
And so, for everybody here who is in the church, here's something you can do. This is going to be something that is going to help you intentionally follow Christ more closely. Who is someone that you know that's a humble and repentant Christian? Who's someone that you know that you can confess your sins to? Who's someone that you know that as they live their life, they demonstrate facets of the gospel that you wish you could demonstrate? Get around those people. Get around them. Be around them. Learn from them. And as you do that, consider discipling others. Now, that can be formal. It doesn't have to be. In fact, a discipleship relationship is simply an intentional relationship that's focused on Christ. A friendship can be a discipleship relationship. Parents, we're, we're called to disciple our children. It doesn't have to be formal. Sometimes that helps. But it means that we have a relationship with our kids that's focused on Jesus Christ. At a church at Grace here, we offer triads and quadrads, fancy words for three or four uh, Christian men or Christian women getting together, and what do they do? They share what they're learning in Scripture. They share what's going on in their life. They share the sins they're struggling with. They share the disciplines that they're struggling to do. They share what's going on in their families. And what happens? As they live that intimate life together, they disciple one another. It's essential. So, as I close, this is a New Year's sermon, so what What's the call for this year? This is for me. If it is for you too, I hope that it informs you and as you design your journey this year. But for me this year, from this passage, what's the encouragement? Build your life on the bedrock by resting your fate with Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, 2020 has been difficult for many, many reasons in different ways. 2020 has been a year where we feel like we've not had traction. We feel like we've maybe taken some steps backward. We, we feel confused. We feel lost. We feel any number of mixed emotions. May we admit that there is no real power in positive thinking, that thinking about 2021 as if it'll be some kind of savior to us is false. It's sand. Father, may we live for eternity instead. May we not live to avoid discomfort or avoid trial or avoid tragedy. Instead, may we set our fate with Jesus Christ who teaches us that trial and tribulation will come. And in fact, we should celebrate it because it helps us to become more like Him. And rather than looking for comfort, we have to look for Christ and follow Him in obedience. Rather than looking for something that we can base our life on that will make our lives longer and happier, we ought to look to Jesus Christ who came to rescue us. He suffered in our place, to rescue us from suffering. Eternal suffering. So this morning as a church, I pray, as disciples, I pray that we this year would see an increase in our dependence on Jesus. As a church, as individuals. 
that we would follow more closely this year, not to our own credit, but to the credit of the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son. We'd follow more closely in obedience our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we'd see our lives built in a different, more sturdy way because of these things. Thank you for this church. Thank you for calling me and my family here. Thank you for the blessing of of being asked to share the word in this way each week. I pray, Lord, now as we approach the Lord's table that we will be blessed and nourished. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.